podcasting from inside the stash. I'm Jenny. I'm Nicole. And this is Stash and Burn. Hello, everybody. This is Nicole recording solo. The intention for the recording today was going to be to have a surprise episode with Jenny because she was on maternity leave and I had uh, this afternoon off. But at 7.30 a.m. on, what is today, January 28th, I got a text saying that she was in labor. And a few hours later, I got a text uh, saying that uh, as yet unnamed baby boy Blobby had been born. He was a big little guy, 8 pounds, 13 ounces. Woo-woo! So, um, yay, Jenny and Harold and Matilda and as yet unnamed baby. Um I will report more as I find out um, more. Um, Maybe you will hear from Jenny on the boards. I was going to take her uh, the couple of packages that I had received, and we were going to record, but uh, best laid plans of podcasters. So I I also want to clarify that those texts came from Jenny. And when I asked her what she was doing texting me, she said, oh, the miracle of the epidural. So, wow, modern medicine, folks. Um, That said, I wanted to go ahead and record anyway. Um, We have um, later in this uh, hour-ish of time uh, an interview that I just uh, had with Alex Tinsley, who is our featured February designer. Um, Alex will be the focus, uh, if you choose, of our next knit-along month in our 15 hats in 2015. And uh, I will be giving away five patterns, uh, five cop, uh, you know, to individual knitters. I will draw five knitters who, uh, participated in the Wooly Wormhead knit along to win a pattern of Alex's to propel you into the February cow. And then Alex has offered a 15% discount, one five, um, on her, uh, patterns with the code stash burn, uh, between February 1st and February 15th. So the number 15, keep that in mind. Um, so, Thank you, Alex, and you will hear from her uh, later. I thought I would just do my roundup. Believe it or not, I actually have Jenny's notes here, too, because I started notes the other day and shared them with her, and she entered them maybe while she was in labor. Who knows? Uh, but I, will, um, I won't go into those. I'll let her say that for uh, when she returns or if she's feeling up to being on a uh, podcast in the near future. Um, and then she'll just have, a, hopefully, she'll have a lot of things to catch up on. So uh, I wanted to update you on my finished objects, which I have to say the first finished object that I was going to talk about is more like nearly finished. So uh, I finished my brother's sweater. Um, You may have seen it on Instagram. It looks great. feels great. And um, it's actually, I was currently blocking when I wrote these notes, but I think it's ready now for the last step, which is sewing in the zipper. I know I had talked a lot about sending it out to have the zipper sewn in, but I thought about it and asked for some advice on a Ravelry board, and I have decided to go ahead and sew the zipper in myself uh, for a couple of reasons. One is I've sewn in one zipper, and I realized looking back that I did that in something like 2005 or, yeah, probably around 2005, 2006, and um, I I was not a very experienced knitter. And I was not doing a lot of sewing at the time. So my experience was based on, or my, like, that I felt like I had a bad experience is based on a totally different knitter and crafter than, you know, than I am today. So I feel like I can, I can do this. So I'm going to use the Chic Knits tutorial, which is uh, the one that I had used before. And her um, main piece of advice, I feel like, is key, is that she based the fronts uh, of the sweater closed uh, so they are even when you then baste the zipper onto the onto the button bands or zipper bands and I'm also looking at the split yarn um, that's Kara Sheridan's blog Um, I'm looking at her tutorial where she does uh, sewing in a zipper by hand and she uses blocking wires to keep the bands kind of straight so I think my Putting those together um, will look something like this. I think I will put the blocking wires in the front, so two wires in each front, and then I will baste the fronts closed, um, turn it inside out, or maybe I'll start, turn it, no, I'll baste it, turn it inside out, put in the blocking wires, 
baste down the zipper and then at which point I will take the basting stitches out of the sweater, unzip the zipper and secure the zipper down by hand. So um, I feel like I feel pretty comfortable with that. I did sort of consider using the machine, but I really, I'm, that makes me just a little too nervous. So wish me luck. I'm hoping to actually get uh, the process started um, this afternoon while there's still some light so I can at least get the sweater basted closed. Um, I don't think I'll start with the zipper quite yet. I think I, I want to take this in stages. So, um, And then I have one other FO, which is a Woolly Warm Heads Marina hat. I was knitting it in Lion Brand Amazing, and it came out a little small, but really cute. Um, it reacquainted me with, or maybe even taught me, maybe I didn't have never done this before, um, Kitchenering on Garter Stitch, which is super simple. You just kind of reverse two of the steps um, to make it a Garter Stitch closure. So um, I finished that. Um, I have really one work in progress, and that is another Woolly Warmhead pattern or hat, uh, which I think I'm actually will be able to get done still in January. I have about three more days and I'm pretty close. I'm knitting the Arkanoid hat and um, I'm knitting it in Handmaiden Casbah, which is their um, sock yarn with cashmere content. And I, this is some really old stash yarn. This yarn, I believe I bought in either 2008 or 2009. So we're looking at uh six or seven year old yarn. So woohoo! Um, this pattern is garter stitching around with a little bit of stockinette and then um, I don't know if you would call it ribbing but um, there are lines of stockinette and reverse stockinette that break up the garter stitch slash uh, stockinette. So it's, it's kind of like a waffle rib pattern, a waffle pattern. Um, it has been a little challenging actually um, because of the reverse stockinette and stockinette uh, stripes against the garter stitch, you have to be aware of when those happen on the correct rows. So some rows, it's mostly uh, it's mostly knit with an occasional purl, and some rows, it's mostly purls with an occasional knit. Shockingly, the mostly purls with occasional knit are easier rows to knit for me because you can always see the knit stitch coming. Um, sometimes when you have reverse stockinette next to garter stitch, it's hard to see that stitch coming. So I've done a lot of dropping down to repair, repair to, to flip them back so that they're purl stitches when occasionally a knit stitch gets in there. And in fact, at one place in this, um, in this hat, the, um, I messed it up so badly that I've probably dropped stitches down like three inches and re-carried them back up. <clears throat> it was a little bummer because I was trying to go to bed and I could not leave it undone. So I stayed up for an extra half hour on a work night. Uh-oh. Um, the result is, though, really beautiful. I feel like this is a, a fantastic pattern for variegated yarn. Um, it breaks it up. There's absolutely no pulling. Um, variegated yarn looks fantastic on garter stitch. So I would say... Um, it probably is easier to keep track of those stockinette and reverse stockinette rivulets um, on a plain colored yarn, on a solid colored yarn, but um, it looks really, really fantastic in this yarn. So I'm excited about it. I'm making the slouchier version, and I'm about, I would say I probably have at least an inch, maybe an inch and a quarter to go. Um, and then the reducing is just like 11 rounds. So I feel like once I get past the body, then doing the, the reducing rows should go snippity, clickety, snap really fast. <laughs> so um, it's, it's a great pattern. It just, it takes, it's deceptively not simple. It's deceptively difficult. It looks like it's going to be really straightforward, but you do have to do a fair amount of concentrating. So um so that is what's um, what I'm working on, and I have a few things coming up. Um, I have two vests that are kind of come to the top of the queue. One is I found out that um, somebody I know through work, not at my work, um, I knew she was having a baby, and I found out she was having a girl, and so I'm using the Koigu Kirsty or two balls of Koigu Kirsty that I got at the Article Pract. Um, 
store closing sale to knit a Milo vest, which I may be the only knitter on Ravelry, not true, who hasn't knit a Milo vest. But there are something like 8,000 uh, projects for the Milo vest. Um, it's If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a very cute top-down vest, like boxy vest. Um, it's got a garter yoke and then stockinette body with a cable panel. And uh, the yarn I have is like pink, magenta, and orange. It's very sherberty, and I think I'm going to do the XO cable. Um, I was remembering Jenny saying what, um, how uh, knitting a child's vest is the equivalent, knitting equivalent of a sneeze. So I'm hoping to knock this out. Um, I'm seeing her on February 9th, so that gives me about 12 days to knit this. I think that's more than enough for something that's only supposed to take a couple hundred yards. So um, I'm, um, I've got that and that will qualify me. Well, not that I'm really competing in vestuary, but it means I will have participated in vestuary. Um, I also have been, um, really wanting to cast on a vest for myself and have arrived on kind of mashing up two patterns. Uh, one is called Togue Pond and it is a pattern that, um, I purchased actually last summer and it is a Pam Allen pattern that is knit in uh, the Quinson Company linen yarn and it is a fitted high-low tank top and I like the high-low aspect of it and I like some of the aspects of the fitting. It is a little more closely fit than the other pattern that I want to use uh, aspects of which is Sandy by Hannah Fettig. So I, I think I'm going to mash up some of the concepts of those. I think I'm going to um, take the toque pond pattern and knit it maybe one size up for me so there's a little more ease. Instead of a ribbed band, I'm going to do a garter stitch band. And then I'm going to incorporate the, the concept of the garter stitch that um, Sandy has um, like kind of on the sides just to give the top some definition. But I am going to do a little bit of shaping. Not as severe, won't be as fitted. There'll still be a little bit of ease on the top for um, in the bust. And then instead of severely shaping the arms as they are shaped in toe pond, I think I'm going to do a little more straight up. Maybe a tiny bit of shaping to bring them in because I, I do have narrow shoulders. But um, I think I'm going to adapt it a little bit. So it, it feels more like a vest. It has a little bit more room. Uh, but is maybe a, a little more of a silhouette that I think I can handle. I, I still have not sort of crossed to the other side of the boxy sweater, in part because I'm short and I'm really worried about how a boxy sweater will make me <laughs> look shorter. So um, so that uh, that's sort of what's right on the horizon for me. I'm hoping actually to start one of those, maybe Milo, uh, later today. Um, although maybe I might just kind of keep going with the Arkanoid hat. Uh, also I've been having crazy ideas of starting to sew, but in order to do that, I have to sort of excavate my craft room, which is another thing I could possibly do <laughs> with my time. So, um, so that's sort of like what's been going on knit wise, um, just with my knitting um, but I have been doing some other things with my knits. I recently did a big sweater upkeep, um, and um, part of that was inspired that I was having to block my brother's sweater, and John had asked for me to um, to wash and bring back into shape the sweater I made for him five years ago, and uh, so... I did a big sweater wash, and I, I'm going to walk you through what I do. And I know this might make some people like a little nervous because I use the washing machine um, with my wash my not super wash yarns. Um, I've had good experience with this. Um, I feel like it's a pretty conservative tactic that I take. I don't feel like my sweaters are at risk, but I totally could see how this might make you nervous. So um, first of all, I, I have a top-loading washing machine so I can sort of keep control of everything. And I use, um, I actually use the warm-cold setting because I don't feel like the warm water is that hot. It's really just sort of a lukewarm water that ends up being in that wash cycle. I use um, an extra gentle cycle. So there is a gentle cycle and then an extra gentle, which basically means 
the clothing sits in the water and occasionally gets a little agitation, just like a chunk chunk, and then it sits there and goes chunk chunk like three minutes later. And it does that for, you know, some amount of time. And I let it then go all the way through the cycle. I let it uh, get rinsed and spun out in the machine. Um, with my brother's sweater, actually, what I did was I, I actually, the third sweater I put in there was uh, the Girl Friday, which is a superwash sweater. So I'm, I'm never really that concerned about it. And I, I put my, uh, my sweater, the Girl Friday, and John's sweater, um, which was knit out of Northampton worsted and non-superwash wool, I put that, I put it in my dryer for 20 minutes. And about 10 minutes into that cycle, I threw Adam's sweater in there, the new sweater out of Cascade Eco Plus. Just to sort of get the real wetness out of it. And they had been spun out pretty well, so they weren't dripping wet, but the dryer just gave, gave a little bit of, took a little bit of that wetness out. And I do that in part because I often get scared when I pull something out of the wash that it, how much it's grown. So like my brother's sweater, which I did a large, accurate gauge swatch that I washed. I didn't steam it out. I didn't, did no cheating on it. And um, when it came out of the wash, it was not 42 inches chest. It was a 45 inch chest. And uh, the length was not 17 inches, but like 19 inches. Like it felt like it was still holding a lot of water. So I wanted to get some of that water out to see how it pulled back into shape. And, and it did. It pulled back into about the size that I wanted to. It's a little bit over 42. It's right around 17. So I think <laughs> I think it's all good now. Um, John's sweater I just laid out after the 20 minutes. It was damp after that. It took another not really that much longer to dry. I'm trying to think. I think I did that. Maybe I did that on Saturday night, and he was able to wear it on Monday. Um, and, um, the girl Friday, frankly, after the 20 minutes, I left it in the dryer and then I just dried it with the next load that went through the washing machine. <laughs> so it worked. Um, you know, I'm like, I, I don't want to sit there and endorse this strongly because I don't want someone to try it and have their sweater felt like, uh, for some reason, I feel like my lack of fear is what keeps my <laughs> sweater from felting. Although I know that's completely untrue. I know that either I've been lucky or that this is actually a good strategy. I'd actually be curious to hear if other people use this strategy or if you think I'm totally nutso. Um, uh, in other sweater upkeep, I am, it's funny, I've been wearing my shapely boyfriend, which is knit out of Malabrigo twist. And, um, it looks or looked so disgusting. It was so pilly, and it was these giant pills that are just sort of, I felt like a zombie, like I was like losing skin. It was just hideous looking. And um, I started to use um, the Gleaner, which I got a couple of years ago for my birthday. It's a depilling device, and um, it takes some time. Like I was really, I worked on it for like 20 minutes to a half an hour of depilling it, and um, when John came in, he could not believe how pill-free it was. Now, of course, um, pill-free was sort of relative because it still looked, it was still pilly in places like that it couldn't really get shaved. And after wearing it for two days, it's not as bad, but it's already pilling again. So, so much for that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it does make it a little more, a little, uh, I wouldn't wear it in public, but it makes me feel a little less self-conscious about it in general. <laughs> Um, and then the last sweater upkeep thing that I can remember doing is that I think I might have mentioned a while back that the the bottom ribbing had snapped on my papillon sweater. And um, I took some time to undo that bind off. And I don't know exactly why it was so difficult because it was a top-down sweater. So in theory, taking the bind off out should not have been very hard. I'm starting to wonder if I did it in the wrong direction or something when I pulled, but it, it took some time. I lost some stitches because I had been alternating yarns, so I had to kind of rebuild a, a portion. I'd say like five stitches. I had to rebuild three rows. It looks totally fine. And um, um, it's all set. I did the bind off again last night, and I just have to weave in ends, and it's ready to be worn again. So... Um, I'm excited because I, I really do love that sweater. And it was, of course, like just as I was getting into wearing it frequently that it busted. So um, I look forward to wearing that again soon. Um, another focus for me lately has been um, 
at sort of decluttering. I'm sure if you listen to the podcast that I listen to, you've heard a lot about decluttering. Um, Helen Stewart was talking about it, I believe. I heard uh, Gail and Charlene talking about it. I think Aaron and Aaron was talking about it with Jessica on Double Knit, going back Yarn Yaks, Curious High Handmaids. Those are the podcasts. I was just referring to the people. Um, so um, there's something about the beginning of the year, February 1st, I took out all of my yarn and recently um, was inspired to take out some yarn and put it in open shelving, which can be a risk, but at this point, my yarn is so hidden away that if I don't see it, I'm probably not going to use it. So I put um, yarn in two open um, IKEA shelving. It used to be called one thing. Now it's called something else. So neither of the names I can remember. Um, but I think you, if you've been to an IKEA, you know what I'm talking about. So um, I really just want to be able to see some of that. And I will say something that Jenny has taken all of her stash out and made it fully um visible. So um, I have I've not done that, but I, I may try to move towards that uh, model at some point. So um, my focus on um, this year, there's been a newly, a, a third year of Uli is starting up, use it or lose it. And um, I think people are defining their own goals, much like cold sheep. Um, and uh, one thing though, one fun thing that kind of came out of that group, that did come out of that group, um, was the idea of making bingo cards and that each month uh, you could do a bingo card. You can even generate your own. There were several bingo card generators. If you just Google bingo card generators or look in the Uli thread, I pointed out a few that I really liked. So um, you make a bingo card and to see if you can get a bingo um, either in one project or in you know, several Uli projects that you knit in that month, just as a way to sort of keep it fun. And uh, we decided not really to do prizes, but that maybe you could set a goal for yourself. Like, if I get a bingo this month, I can, you know, buy myself that ebook that I wanted. Or if I get five bingos in a row, you know, for five, if I get a bingo for the next five months, I can buy that really cool project bag. So set your own goal, just moving forward. Um, I'm really considering the lose it portion part of the equation. I really haven't lost a lot of yarn over the years, but I'm really thinking about sort of the stuff that I have that I just never am going. I just, I keep thinking, well, I bought this yarn, so I should knit it, but maybe somebody else will knit it. I think a little bit of what my fear is, is that I'm going to release it into the universe and it's going to land in somebody else's stash and just sit in that person's stash. And what I really wanted is to feel like I'm giving it to somebody who really wants to use it, which is stupid. Like once I let it go into the universe, I should just let it go, right? Um, if you are interested in losing some yarn, there is a lose it opportunity that um, a listener posted on our group. And it is that the Kids Quest Museum in Seattle is looking for yarn donations Um for um, a weaving pro a weaving and felting projects in their creation station. So I will point to that announcement in our thread. There's an address um, where you can send donations um, between now and uh, April 30th of uh, 2015. So if you are gathering yarns to lose and you um, don't have any particular place you need or want to uh, donate them, um, you can send them to Alice and Luck at the Kids Quest Children's Museum. Um, actually, it says Bellevue, which I think is Seattle, right? Yeah, Seattle-ish. Um, and that information is uh, in our group. So um, I also wonder if that would be a great place if you wanted to get rid of your scraps, um, because for weaving, the scraps could be really useful. Um, maybe Allison will answer this question in the thread. So... Okay, um, in my decluttering, I've been doing a lot of going through my email at work, actually, it has become part of this effort. Um, I was at work the other day and looked down and saw that in my inbox, read, not, they, these weren't all unread, these were just you know, read and unread emails. I had over 8,500 emails, and I just thought, oh my god, that's absurd. So I have been calling my work emails, just deleting them by the dozens or hundreds, I'm down to, um, I think under 4,500 at this point. 
and or around 4,500. So I've gotten rid of 4,000 emails and I'm just trying to get down to as few as possible um, and just get organized in that way, digitally organized. The other mail I've been trying to attend to is my Ravelry mail. I had five pages of Ravelry mail that I had looked at over the years and somehow ones that I had not deleted. And um, I still have not gotten through. <laughs> I see three emails that I have not responded to from earlier in January that I've actually marked as unread so that they stay dark so they stay at the top so that I address them. Um, but I went through and found a bunch of, um, a few uh, patterns that had been gifted um, to me over the last few months that I don't, I do not know if I thank you publicly. So I am now taking this opportunity to thank some people. And uh, the first two people actually are hat designers. Um, one is Brenda Patipa, who's B Patipa Knits. And she gifted me her 345 hat pattern which is a <laughs> Ravelry download for $3.45. Very clever. And it is a hat that can be knit at each of those gauges, three inches per, three stitches per inch, four stitches per inch, or five stitches per inch. So um, thank you, Brenda. And uh, the hat knitters, you might want to check that out. It's a great uh, use. Um, similarly, Sarah Monty um, gifted me the Lucky 7 hat, which is a slouchy hat that's designed for any gauge. And that is a $5 Ravelry uh, download. Thank you, Sarah. Um, in the fall, Boston Jen um, gifted me her two shawl patterns, her A La Grace and uh, Tan House Brook shawl, Tan House Brook shawl, uh, which are both triangular elongated uh, shawls with uh, texture and yarn overs. They are $5 each on Ravelry. And then lastly, I wanted to thank Be Joyful Knit, who's Barb, and she gifted me the Mikoshi pattern from Amirisu, which is a top that I really want to knit. It was I talked about it last year. It has a peplum and these cute little flutter sleeves, and it's nailed lace weight, and I swatched for it and then couldn't get gauged. So um, maybe this has inspired me to try to find a different yarn to uh, get gauged with. So that is what I had on my list to talk about um, on the podcast had Jenny been here. So you have heard my half of the story. And um, what I'm going to do now is pop in the interview with Alex Tinsley. We talk about hats, designing hats. We talk about television for a while at the end. Um, and then I will pop back in to close up and uh, try to get this posted. So this will come out February 1st to sort of ta-da, announce the uh, promotion that we're doing with Alex um, and her patterns. So, um, and maybe by the time I have uh, come back to this, I will know more about baby boy Blobby besides his weight and his birth time. So I will keep you posted. All right. Hello. I am talking with Alex Tinsley, the designer behind Dull Roar Designs. Um, and I invited her on here because we will be featuring her patterns as our February uh, designer, our future designer for February. So welcome, Alex. Hi. Hi. Thank you. I thought we would just start with your origin story. How and when did you start knitting? Um, so I learned to knit in, I think, the senior year of high school. Um, there, Somebody started up a knitting club in my school, and I was like, I want to do that. So I found this, I think it was Melanie Fallick's Kids Knitting that my mom just happened to own. Mm -hmm. And just like sat down and taught myself. That's amazing. Like, All right, cool. Um, and then I, I did it a lot during college to try and like stay awake during lectures and that kind of thing. And <laughs> it stuck better than what I majored in. So. <laughs> uh, and I'm curious about your knitting in high school. I work in a high school and um, a couple of times in my tenure there, knitting clubs have started and faded and started and faded. And then recently... We had an event where people were teaching other people how to knit. So a student and, a, and an adult were teaching um, other students how to knit. It was interesting how many kids were like, wow, can I just do this all the time? Um, but did the knitting club or the knitting, did it take at your high school? Were there a number of people? Um, you know, there were a lot of people that joined. I don't remember if it lasted more than, you know, 
a handful of meetings. Nobody else became um, a knitwear designer as far as you know. <laughs> as far as I know. I do remember a lot of people like bringing knitting to class and the teachers just being like, what is going on? Like, That's put that amazing. away. <laughs> but, and you're in Michigan. Did you grow up in Michigan? I did, yeah. So knitting made sense. I mean, knitting for warmth made sense. <laughs> yeah. California, we have a harder time justifying it. But... <laughs> Yeah, I um I went to school out in Portland and I worked in a yarn shop out there and mm-hmm. obviously they have a very strong crafting community yes. out there. So that was kind of where it really got nourished. But mm-hmm. now that I'm back in Michigan with a snow, you know, every freaking day, <laughs> yeah. I definitely be having a lot of hats. So when did you start designing your own knitwear? Um sometime in college I started selling things on Etsy. Um, and I never really used a lot of patterns. I kind of just made it up as I went along, which means that the early stuff I was selling is absolutely shameful now. <laughs> um, but then eventually I noticed that other people, this was before Ravelry, so I noticed other people on Etsy were selling the PDF patterns. And I was like, oh, huh, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started doing that as well as selling the samples, which was a terrible idea because now I don't have samples for a lot of my older patterns, mm-hmm. but um, started doing that. And then when Ravelry came along, I kind of jumped ship on selling the samples and just went to patterns completely. <laughs> so those early patterns, are those still designs that you sell or have you revisited them? <laughs> um, most of them are still available. There are a few that I've taken down because I want to re-knit them and Make sure they're like up to my standards now. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them I've finished doing that too, and some I haven't yet. <laughs> so, what was the what was the first thing you designed? I think the first pattern that I put out was a hat called the Delicious, mm-hmm. which was named after some ridiculous like internet comedy sketch <laughs> <laughs> for some reason. Um, and I submitted it to Nitty, and it got rejected, but they were very, very nice about it. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll just put it out. And it's like, it's not really wearable. <laughs> it's, like a, it's, like a, it's like a fascinator beret thing. It's just a weird little hat. Um, yeah, I think I did that one, and then I had one, like, free zigzag kind of scarf. That, that one I definitely have taken down and need to remake. <laughs> it's like half-knit in my studio now, but... So I first remember becoming aware of you around the Malabrigo books that you did, or the first Malabrigo book that you did. But what was sort of your first, were you in Nitty? I'm trying, I'm trying to remember like what, what your trajectory was from there. Um, I did. I was eventually in Nitty. I think that was the first place that I published. And then I did, um, like, I think I had something in Knit Simple at one point mm-hmm. and I you know, a couple books here and there that I had like one pattern in. Um, I haven't honestly done a ton of like submitting to magazines and stuff just because when I have an idea, I just want to do it right now. I don't want to like sketch and swatch and find somewhere to send it. And so <laughs> I'm a bit impatient for that. But... Well, it seems that the world, that Ravelry has changed that world for designers. I think it makes it easier to be an independent designer because you have a mode of distribution and Definitely, an audience yes. of, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> three million people who are on Ravelry. Right. And I, I'm sure that in that three million people, not everybody is on Ravelry every day as I am or multiple times a day as I am. I mean, it really, for me, has become I, – I, I don't use Facebook. I use Ravelry. That's like my mode of connection with people who are not people I see every day. Um, so – I think that this has been a great time for independent designers, and I wonder if it's been a little bit of a difficult time for magazines because you don't have to wait for that instrument. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say because I think there's there's definitely more designers, so maybe they are mm-hmm. still getting more submissions. But at the same time, you know, I know recently at least a lot of designers have been demanding more in terms of like compensation and getting their rights back and mm-hmm. it makes you know it's an easy platform for designers to talk to each other mm-hmm. too so and just print publishing in general i think is probably having a rough time right now right it's sad i love like physical books and things but i do understand <laughs> why that's happening too well it's it's hard i have a lot of older interviews particularly from the time 
around when I started knitting, which was like 2002. And so I have a few years, I'd say between 2003 and 2008, I have almost every knitting magazine that was published in that period. And I never pull them out (laughs) now. And um, I feel a little sad about that because I'm sure there's tons of great stuff in there. I I think (laughs) a lot about, I think it's like the winter or fall interweave knits in 2004 that when it came out was like, it was like everything in it. I was like, I want to make everything in this and I should pull it out now to see if I still feel that way. Like, I wonder if I would look at those knitting magazines the way that sort of when you pull up those 1980 Vogue knitting, you're like, whoa, somebody did that. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I do, I love the, you know, the photography and the effort that goes into the styling and everything. And you don't get, I mean, you do sometimes get that in, you know, digital patterns. But I know for me, at least I'm definitely more like, I'm going to snap a picture in my hallway (laughs) where the good light is. Mm -hmm. So you kind of, you lose that a little bit. I definitely like working on books, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So what was it like when you did your book with Cooperative Press? How did that process work? Um, So that was crazy, but fun. (laughs) And that book is called Doomsday Knits, right? Doomsday Knits. Um, Yeah, it's a collection of (laughs) post-apocalyptic themed kind of things. Um, So Cooperative Press gives you a lot of control as an author, which is something that I wanted. I really wanted my friend who's a photographer to shoot it. I really wanted to do the styling because I love doing that kind of stuff. Um, So that was awesome. Um, They also, they don't operate on an advanced basis, the way a traditional publisher mm-hmm. does, which meant that to fund the, the photo shoot and the costumes and stuff, we did a Kickstarter okay. to, you know, to get that money because that doesn't come cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. It was like, um, it was almost like an independently published project, but with this extra layer of, you know, support and, they handled like the tech editing and all the oh, not fun parts for me, <laughs> which was great. Um, yeah, it was it was a ride, and i I worked with a lot of great people. I don't know that I would do another um, multi designer book just because it can be so crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was lucky in that everyone that I was working with was really great. It wasn't like. <laughs> wasn't like they were difficult people there was just 30 of them right you just have to you have to have a lot of you're doing a lot of juggling you become um project manager you know a lot of yeah and i do that for malabrigo also so it was kind of a lot of project managing going on in (laughs) my life at that time (laughs) so how how did you develop the relationship with malabrigo um so i had done i have two ebooks called like go go malabrigo that i just Mm -hmm. did based on Honestly, the first one wasn't even going to be Malabrigo, but then when I got all the patterns together, I was like, oh, I made everything out of Malabrigo, so I guess that's the theme now, because um, I was just really like their yarn at the time. Um, and I had talked to the girl that previously had my job about being in one of their books, and so I was kind of like following her on social media and stuff, mm-hmm. and when she announced that she was leaving, I immediately emailed them, and it was like, me, 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 I want to do it. <laughs> Pick me. Um, and they let me, which was awesome because I didn't necessarily have that much experience mm-hmm. and they were like, okay, give it a whirl. Um, and so that's, that's been a really awesome kind of thing. Um, it's strange working for someone on basically the other side of the world. Oh, you know, yeah, I've never yeah, the seen their factories. <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. Some of, I mean, they all speak English to a degree. Right. <laughs> um, I really should learn Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's yeah, it's uh, Malabrigo yarns tend to seem to be really your muse. Like even your collection you put out last fall, the Sweet Tooth, all of those were knit in. I think Mal- they were yeah. <laughs> Malabrigo worsted, right? And you did such a. I'm just looking at the four pictures from that, and um, I have knit the Drage hat, and I knit it in Malabrigo. I had just enough Malabrigo worsted in Hollyhock. But I was obsessed with the color that you chose for the sample of that and obsessed with that. I don't even know how to define that color yellow, <laughs> like highlighter yellow, pom-pom. And then you made the next pattern citric out of that. What I imagined was like, oh, she just used the rest of that ball of yarn to make <laughs> the citric much. hat. 
And then um, Rocket Pop, which came out, I think it was the third, and I'm trying to remember the order. Um, it was like every time one came out, I was like, how can it get better than this? Um, and Rocket Pop is the hat that I'm going to knit uh, for the um, the 15 hats in 2015 for February um, for your designer month, Rocket Pop. Awesome. I've been wanting to knit it. <laughs> Um, since it came out, and I think I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I have a um, some Cascade Superwash, which I think of as more like a really lightweight uh, worsted, uh, where Malabrigo worsted I feel is like a, a very heavyweight worsted. Um, so it might end up being a child size hat. We'll see. Um, but I have, three... have some good drape to it. Probably. Yeah, it'll, it'll be, nice. be interesting <laughs> way to go. But um, I just I loved the idea of it being like the Rocket Pop. <laughs> uh, and I even I think was at the time I was like wait a minute is that is that what I think it is I'm looking it up online the, <laughs> what they looked like and I was like oh yeah look it's the same color yeah I totally did it out of order because I didn't look up a picture first but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've gotten to a point where I have just used so much Malabrigo worsted you must in just my life. have yeah. So my stash of like partial balls is huge because it's the yardage is like 200 yards which is enough to get two hats out of really, really yeah so I, uh, yeah, for that collection, I was really just like, what colors do I like? I'm going to put them all together and <laughs> make a collection out of them. So, so you, I'm, you are mostly hats is what I think of you as a hat designer, but you have a lot of other accessories and a few garments, but why, what appeals to you about the accessory design market? You know, I, I didn't really ever consciously sit and think, like, I'm going to focus on hats. It was just like, you can do them with one skein. Mm -hmm. You only need to make one of them. It was like the, just the easy thing for me to, you know, take to class and whip a couple out. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as I got going, it was like, okay, I feel like I know hats really well. And now I can start kind of playing with how they're made and mm -hmm. seeing what I can do with hats, basically. Um I am getting to a point where I'm starting to be more interested in doing garments and that kind of thing. Um, the garments are definitely a ton of work. <laughs> they really, I, mean, I can't, I'm right. even, go ahead. The math alone, like for the, all of the sizing, I've done it. I don't love doing it. <laughs> yeah. I think but, that that's the kind of thing that you do when you know someone else is going to hire the tech editor, right? Like <laughs> you're like, here are the numbers. Right. <laughs> Somebody figure this out for me. It seems like a lot of work. When I, I do a lot of playing with patterns, even garment patterns. So I'm like, well, I like that pattern, but the yarn I have that I want to use is a different gauge. So I'll just work all this math out. And working that math out for yourself is one thing, but working that math out and for... And then you do it seven more times. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like when I started knitting, you would get a garment pattern and there'd be four sizes. But because the world of knitters is so, uh, it's, it's, there's so many of us with, and the, everybody's such a different size that now the sizes go like size 28 to, you know, 56. And that is a lot of math <laughs> to do. <laughs> um, uh, so things like, uh, customness, I see why that is sort of appealing for some designers. I think you can do sort of a base pattern and then let it all get worked out through right, custom fit. Right, yeah. pick their own, do their own fitting. Right. Yeah, I think I've kind of gotten to the conclusion, like, maybe I will start doing some very simply shaped garments, which are definitely in style mm -hmm. right now, like boxy sweaters, right. that kind of thing. Because um, I know I was intimidated for a long time feeling like, you know, I have to do bust shaping, I gotta do waist shaping, I gotta hip shape. Do I need bust starts? You know, mm -hmm. like I don't have a bust to like <laughs> learn on. So like is it gonna fit other people and what if it doesn't? Well that's an interesting thing just thinking about trends. Um I mean in garment design definitely there's been a move um away from severely shaped garments. Like I remember every early sweater I made was like hourglass shaped right and now yeah you do see a lot more of those boxy um silhouettes but have you seen changes as a predominantly as a hat designer have you seen shifts in in the hat design world or have you shifted um i i'm sure that i've shifted a little bit over time i can't say i've really noticed um you know, I like to look at what's actually being sold in stores and that kind of thing, just mm -hmm. to keep kind of a gauge on like what's coming in style. And 
You know, when you look at the hats that are sold in places like Urban Outfitters or Anthropology, mm-hmm. it's the same couple of beanies over and over with different colored yarn and different textures mm-hmm. of yarn, that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> like, I feel like the retail market doesn't doesn't get that creative with hats usually, whereas with sweaters, they get very creative, and it's mm-hmm. interesting to see that, you know, starting to trickle down into knitting now where the big boxy sweaters are showing up on Ravelry. Which is interesting, like, from a knitter's perspective, it's um, sort of not the most challenging, not necessarily the most challenging thing to knit, and um, at least I would think, you know, you're just knitting a square, like, um, (laughs) but um, I was going to say something about hats, and commercially bought hats on my way home, because I live in a place where there's a lot of young hipsters, I see a guy, even though it's nice and sunny here today, wearing his beanie, and I just thought, I, it was clearly store-bought. I thought, no one in the world should own, should buy a beanie. <laughs> like, <laughs> there are enough hats in the world being knit that I just feel like I should just snatch <laughs> commercially there made hats. There are hats in my closet that right? I feel like I should just... I'm like, that hat is probably not even made out of wool. It's, <laughs> it's got a tag on it. Like, <laughs> why are you wearing that? <laughs> so I might have a little bit of a bias on that. Mm-hmm. I always really feel for people wearing, you know, the their little cotton acrylic beanies in the winter. I'm like, oh, your ears. Yeah. I've got like three wool hats on the ear <laughs> because it's so cold here. Um, so where where do you get inspiration? You know, when you work on that same um, canvas, so to speak, again and again, what what inspires you to in, in the world to the different things that you choose to do. I'm sorry, that was super articulate. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of it is just kind of playing with the yarn or like, you know, I'll be working on one design and I'll notice like, oh, this aspect of it is kind of interesting. What if I tried this next time? Or, you know, mm-hmm. and I definitely, you know, I, do, I like to look at, you know, what's coming out in sweater designs and that kind of thing. And maybe saying like, oh, this element on this Rick Owen sweater is really cool how can I incorporate that into a hat? And can I build a hat around like this one interesting design element? Um, yeah, I, don't know. I, I feel like I never have a good answer for this question because it's always just sort of like playing with color and texture well, uh, <laughs> more uh, so than like, I know some people are like, Oh, I looked at this beautiful architecture uh-huh. and I made a hat like that. And I've never really done that. <laughs> Uh, go back to the Draguet hat. Um, it has a very unusual cable in it. Or not very unusual, but it, it was not the cable I expected it to be when I saw it. And then when I was reading the pattern, there's a, sort of a, uh, I don't want to say it's asymmetry, but there's, it's, I can't remember now, but I know I was like, oh, we, you you don't turn the cables on the same, uh, like at an even interval, Right. But did you sort of just play with that and decide, oh, I like the way these intervals work? Um, or did you see a cable that that made you think of that? I was just wondering how that came about. Um, I wish I could remember. <laughs> <laughs> so many hats. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know with Dragay, I really wanted to do a really big cable, mm-hmm. like, you know, big enough that it's almost a little awkward to work, but not quite. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember why I decided to mix up the intervals like that. I think it was kind of just on a whim. <laughs> well, it, it creates a really neat effect. Um, and just, you know, you had to pay a little more attention. I find that that was really interesting for me as a knitter is that I'm often looking for what's the thing I can knit. Not often, but I, it's good to have like that pattern you can, you can knit while you know, you're watching TV or you're in a dark room at a movie or something. But the patterns, of course, that I end up being attracted to are like that, where I have to know where I am at all given <laughs> times. Otherwise, I'm not going to turn my cable on the right row or you know, even things that look deceptively simple um, require uh, a level of concentration, which is why I'm glad to knit it in a hat and not in a sweater. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean that's that's always a big balancing act because the the hats that I, you know, call TV knitting basically mm-hmm. where they're, you know, not so boring that you want to claw your eyes out, but they're simple enough that you can watch something. Right. Um those are my best sellers and I mm-hmm. like doing them. I like 
watching TV while I'm designing them. <laughs> I know. Um, I, I want to get around but at the to... same time. It's fun to occasionally like break out of that and do something a little weird. <laughs> I've been wanting it citric because it looks like it has that nice compromise position where it has some texture, but I could probably get into a rhythm and still watch an episode of Portlandia, <laughs> right? Like her. <laughs> Or... Yeah, I tried. I tried to do like two and two with that collection. I figured that one and uh, uh, fruit the orange one that right. fructose. There we go. <laughs> Forgetting my own names, it's pretty okay. bad. Um, <laughs> those ones are nice and simple, and then the other ones have a little bit more going on. <laughs> so, do you ever get to just knit for yourself something that's not a design project? Um, occasionally, <laughs> I um. I try to, so I have a ton of hand spun because for a while I was really into spinning and I just didn't have time to knit it. So I've sort of been just like turning it into a ton of ribbed beanies whenever I just need something mindless and mm-hmm. I don't have anything mindless to work on. And then, you know, when I need a gift, I'm like, here, I hand spun this hat. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, completely, completely made by me. Yeah, I do think part of my my motivation for wanting to do more sweaters comes from wanting to knit myself more sweaters. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> if it's work, then it's okay for me to knit myself a whole new wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So. And because you independently design, you get to, theoretically, you keep your samples, right? <laughs> they don't go someplace. I do, and I really shouldn't, like, wear them and destroy them, but I do sometimes do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> There's photographic evidence. That's all you need. Right? Exactly. I keep some of them nice for the trunk shows right. and some of them get worn every day. <laughs> uh, so I think we may have had, there may have been a thread in your group about watching what you watch while you're knitting. What have, have you been watching anything? Any, any recommendations of what to watch <laughs> on Netflix streaming or Amazon prime streaming? Oh God. I don't know if I want to admit to the stuff I watch on Netflix. <laughs> um, I just caught up on pretty little liars, okay. which is a, terrible show but in the best way <laughs> is that on it's netflix like, it is oh. uh, it's not the latest season yeah. i'm behind anything anything that i can get streaming i don't care if it's a, right I, yeah, I'm, behind. I just... I'm like i'd rather have it streaming <laughs> than be caught up right um i actually am caught up on once upon a time because i figured out that you can watch that on hulu if you ah. keep up to date right that's um, a, yeah it's, you got to chase those shows <laughs> Yeah, I occasionally try and throw in a movie, like, like all of a sudden, you know, once every month or two, I'm like, I want to watch an old movie and, yeah. like, watch something with Marilyn Monroe in it from the 50s. And I'm like, yay, I'm enhancing myself somehow by watching <laughs> an, old, an old movie. Something that didn't, Instead yeah. of just trash. <laughs> like, like, what I did this weekend, I uh, got a notification from Netflix that The Interview was available streaming the Seth Rogen, James Franco disaster. And I was like, we are watching this tonight. <laughs> and we did. And it was... I totally watched it the other night. Too. It's pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was one of those things where I kept just going... This is really happening. Huh. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I said on my Facebook, I was like, I'm ashamed to admit that I kind of really enjoyed the interview, but it's just because James Franco holding a puppy is so my dream man. Funny. He is so funny. Like, uh, my husband can't get over it. Like, he's like, I love James Franco so much. And I think it's because he's a handsome guy who likes to act like a buffoon. Like, right. And it's just, you know, just anybody who's good looking who's willing to sort of be the butt of the joke is okay in my book. Uh, I've been, well, I want, you know, some of the standards, but I just started watching on Amazon streaming Broad City. Have you watched this show? I haven't. I, my sister's crazy about it. Everyone I know loves it. I just haven't, I don't have Amazon streaming and I don't uh, think it's on Netflix. So I don't think, yeah, I'm trying to watch it. it is. It's very funny. Um, and I, I was talking with somebody about it. We can't figure out if it's meant for people of that age, which I think you probably are approximately the age that it would be meant for, or if it's meant for older people like us to feel nostalgic about how stupid we were when we were younger. So I think it's sort of like a Maybe mix. Both. Probably both. I think it probably uh, crosses. Uh, but yeah, I think to recommend that you'd have to, I'd have to make sure people were uh, comfortable with a lot of off, off color humor. <laughs> So, warning, anybody, for everybody listening, if you are comfortable with off-color humor, Broad City may be for you. Otherwise, stay away. <laughs> um, yeah, Amazon Prime has uh, opened me because they actually have started their own network. So, I've been able to watch these shows that they have on their own. Um, so, 
It's like a whole nice. new world of TV. <laughs> um, yeah, a coworker of mine recently says, dug into the Gilmore Girls, which I never watched first round, so I might be giving that a try. That yeah, that's on my list too. I don't know. I've I've watched the odd episode here or there and didn't really draw me in, but I don't know. I not that long ago watched all of Dawson's Creek on <laughs> Netflix, having not watched it the first time and got super into it. So. Did you watch Buffy? Oh yeah. Okay, because I just dipped into Buffy the other night and needed something to watch while I was finishing something, so I watched uh, Doppelgangland, a very famous episode um, where Willow, there's two Willows. And I was like, oh my god, no wonder I love this show so much. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah, that one's definitely worth watching front to back. <laughs> uh, so so it's good to know for me. I'm like, oh, I can always, if nothing else ever comes out that I like, I can always go back and watch Buffy. <laughs> Which I think when we started the podcast, it, we talked about quite a bit. And over the years, we've, it's, you know, it's become more and more distant to our past. And so it was nice <laughs> to sort of get reconnected with that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I need to get into Doctor Who because I just, you know, I mean, obviously, spending any time at all on Ravelry. Yeah, yeah it's clearly. You hear about Doctor Who constantly. And I feel like I should like it, but I was just, like, so intimidated by the number of seasons and doctors. I was just like, there's Yeah, there's ah! a, a lot to learn about Doctor Who. and But there's definitely some sort of, there's some sort of Venn diagram to be drawn with knitters and Doctor Who. <laughs> Uh, probably cats would be in there, or um, a little bit of Buffy and Sherlock, Bu- yeah, Sherlock so, and um, yeah. and Harry Potter. That was like, I mean, there's one oh, other yeah. one, Harry Potter. <laughs> uh, so the, yeah, the the crossover is fairly. You're gonna mm-hmm. if you're a knitter, there's one of those circles also includes you, librarian. You know, <laughs> I don't know, just any number of things. So. Well, thank you for talking with me today, Alex, and I'm really excited. Um, starting February 1st is the Alex Tinsley hat knit along in the Stash and Burn group, and we will, I will on February 1st give out five prizes for people who participated in last month's knit along. Um, so five people will get a, a pattern of their choice, and there will be a discount that Alex is offering with the code STASHBURN. And it's 15% between February 1st and February 15th. I think we were staying with a 15 theme here, yeah, right? <laughs> All 15s. It really makes it, it does, it makes it easy. So um, thank you so much. And um, um, we'll see you at the end of our knit along. I'll, I'll uh, PM you so you can see uh, the hats that get Awesome. I'm really excited. Cal. Okay. Thank you for having me. It sure. was great talking to you. Awesome. Okay, everyone. Thank you for listening. And in case you missed Jenny's announcement on Instagram, um, Baby Boy Blobby is now known as Hugo Theodore. So welcome, Hugo. I'm sure you will be hearing about and from him in the future. Thanks again a million to Alex Tinsley for being on the podcast and for the discount on her patterns, which will last from February 1st till February 15th with the code STASHBURN. That information will be found um, on our show notes at stashandburn.com or in our group on Ravelry. Please join us. We have an awesome supportive group with lots of different threads happening, lots of support for anything that you're interested in doing, including our 15 hats in 2015 hat knit along or crochet along if you prefer. Um, so uh, we hope to see, I hope to see you on Ravelry. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at stashandburn. Um, and I will talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.